You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. This is the podcast Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with Sarah Raven and Arthur Parkinson. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the books that both of us have coming out this spring. Brand new books. I haven't written a, a book for 10 years nearly. And Arthur, more recently. So, Arthur, tell us about The Flower Yard why you did it, what it's about, and why it would be interesting to people. I did it mainly, Sarah, as you know, because I take a lot of photos of my garden constantly. And like the first book I did, The Pottery Gardener, it was really having a build-up of all these photographs of of my garden at home. But what I realised early on was more and more people had small gardens. And I got sick of hearing the words, oh, I've got a garden, but it's small. And I've never been upset by that, really. As as you know, I love my pots. And I think Mm. even if I had a large garden, I'd still have a very condensed garden by the door. And the rest of the garden would probably be an orchard. So the book is about my pots literally by the door and how I grow all the flowers, really, that you and I love. So sweet peas, dahlias, tulips, cosmos. But how I grow them specifically in pots and how the garden has succession through the year because I think it's all very well doing a lovely photo of the tulips in full bloom but then people go well what happens next so that's really what made me want to to write it. But it's also isn't it it's about bringing the outside in I mean it is incredible Arthur's garden is only 16 foot long so I've got relatively long legs sorry that sounds vain but you know in a few good strides I can get from his garden gate to his front door and yet he manages to have this sort of incredibly flower and scent filled jungle which then he picks to to bring inside and fill his little cottage with flowers as well so that's one of the things that you cover too isn't it? Yeah I mean it's one of the loveliest memories I've got of first visiting you at Perchill and going into your house was feeling like it was like my mum's house in that you had wall-to-wall vases and jugs and jam jars and, you know, beautiful glass everywhere to put your flowers into. And so, yeah, I have tried in the book to to get the ethos of, of cutting flowers as a good thing. And it's not about having huge, great armfuls. I think we've all become a bit overwhelmed by the American cut flower ethos of having to have a whole field worth of things to cook from. It's much more about having you know, just a handful of beautiful flowers that you almost know on an individual basis and that you nurture Mm. from having them on your windowsill to having them outside as something to then cook from and enjoy. And as as me and you both know, all the annuals, the more you cook from them, the more you get. And so it's a win-win scenario. You know, if you weren't to cut the flowers, you'd just be deadheading. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to deadhead, why not livehead? No, I've definitely found it, this, this particular lockdown... I set myself the task from the 1st of January that I had to pick a tiny arrangement. I mean, it could be massive, but obviously we're still in winter, so it's not massive. Every day. And I put it on my Instagram. Yeah, you've stuck to your word. It's amazing. You know, I've kept going with it. It's sometimes been when it's Mm. getting dark, I suddenly think, I haven't (laughs) done my 
I haven't done my my <laughs> bars yet. But what's been lovely about it is just as you say, you you only need a few flowers, but it's that engaging you with going outside, whatever the weather, having a look around. You know, the snowdrops came out yesterday. So I picked snowdrops today and those hoop petticoat narcissus are very early. They flower in January and February. But it means that you engage with your place in that moment. So it's that place and mm. that moment and your taste. And I think that for me is what your book is is partly about. It's just like you can make the most incredible, beautiful, life-enhancing outside space to enhance your inside space, even if you only have 16 foot. And I, I just find that so inspiring. And that's what I think as well as your plant choice, which of course I love and the colors that you use, which of course I love. But your book for me is so inspiring because it is all literally done in pots. It's a yard. It isn't planting things into the ground apart from the wisteria on the front, is it? So it's all growing in pots and that you can do that. And rather than spend money on, I don't know, a new pair of trainers. A car maybe. (laughs) Or a car. No, it's a bit more. We won't mention that. No, Arthur doesn't drive and that's not good. But, um, well, it is good for the environment, but it's not good for when you live in the middle of the sticks. But that's the thing is, is just everything can be done in a pot. It might be a bit more labor intensive because you have got to water. But if you grow the right plants, you can minimize that and you can maximize the sort of beauty and color and abundance that you get from them. That's what Arthur's book is about. And It really is, for me, a must-have because obviously here the farm is 90 acres and the garden is is an acre and a half. And so I don't have to have that really strict discipline of only having the very best of the very best and only growing it in the very best way so that you get the most out of it. But if you have a small amount of or tiny amount of space, I remember you saying to me about people who've got a garden shed haven't got a small garden. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I haven't got a shed. I love a shed. Yeah. So where do you put your garden tools? <laughs> they're all in a honest. Honestly, they are all in a corner behind the horrible television, and that's the only good thing about having a big, horrible plasma television that my mum and brother insist on us having is that it does hide the tools. Um, yeah. <laughs> And you know every every windowsill is is a greenhouse. It has to be, and I don't have house plants because as soon as it gets to you know mid March, they become propagator zones, and I can't have you know the amaryllis get chucked out. There, the, that's probably the only plant that I treat as a house plant. Yeah. And so yeah, it's it's full on, but it, it's you know it's like you, it's it's an addiction, and it is it's something that makes you want to see one week from the next. You know, you've got all these babies that you're growing and looking after. And it's about filling the garden. And unlike Perch Hill, I want my pots to be ever-changing. I don't want just a bed of peonies that I chop back and, you know, have to look at for the whole year. I want a continual change. And, you know, it's something I've done for years now. I I go through our catalogue and other catalogues and I snip up all the different things and make an arrangement and a plan of what I'm going to grow for a Pacific palette or a Pacific mood. And um, and so the garden's about planning and hopefully inspiring people who've only got a couple of pots by the door. Will you just finish by um, telling me your favourite plant for spring and then for summer and then for autumn? So for spring, I, I'm tempted to say a tulip, but to be honest, the thing I am looking forward to the most is a fertility, the snake's head fertility. Mm. 
which is the worst bulb for a pot because it hates compost. It actually likes to be in heavy clay, wet clay. But I've got a few of those in terracotta pots and I can't wait for them to be in flowers so I can bring them in and have them as like a living arrangement looking like something out of a Charles Dickens, you know, novel. I like flowers that almost don't seem to be domestic. You know, if they can look wild, that's wonderful. So that would be spring and bypassing all the lovely parrot tulips that I love straight into summer. Mm-hmm. would probably be a single dahlia, so one mm. of the bishops, probably Bishop of Auckland, because it's a really strong grower and it's a single dahlia and um, you can cut it, it'll last a weekend in a vase, but the best thing is every centre just brims with nectar. On a sunny day you'll see it like honey in the middle and so you'll get bumblebees and butterflies and then in the evening you'll get moths as well because, you know, dahlias, they stay open. Mm. And so, yeah, I like I like my flowers to be you know, very beautiful, but as natural as possible, as close to what nature intended. And autumn? Autumn. Oh, it could have been a daily, couldn't it? Well, I was um, thinking that. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what about summer then? All right, summer. Um, summer would be Cosmos Rebenza, which is the, the nicest claret. Very elegant, doesn't grow a stupid great stalk like Dazzler and Purity do. Oh, you're being a bit rude about our favourite flowers. I know, but they, they're just not good for pots, though. I'm afraid if you filled your okay. Dutch yard with dazzler impurity, you know, you'd be screaming because they grow huge, almost tree trunk-like roots. Only yeah. grow those if you've got a big garden like Sarah or an allotment. Rebenza is the good one for pots, as is fizzy white, if you like your white flowers, because they just have a much smaller root system, but they're just as prolific as the other two big ones that I mentioned. So the flower yard is out at the end of March and I think it's going to be an absolute stormer and for anyone with a small amount of space it is definitely the book to get to give you really life-enhancing plant inspiration and even if you have a big garden but you have pots you'll find fantastic combinations and collections that Arthur puts together like paintings really throughout the book so I think it's hugely exciting and I'm much looking forward to seeing it in the flesh. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I've not seen it in the flesh yet, sadly, but I have seen your beautiful book in the flesh. I was very lucky. Last time I was at Pitchill, the first copy had arrived and I spent all evening looking through this gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous book that we've waited years for you to produce. I was trying to think what the last garden book was I think the last flower book you did was Wildflowers wasn't it with Jonathan which was a giant encyclopedia but that you wouldn't really call a garden book no so you've not done a gardening book really for how long how long is it well I think the bold and brilliant garden really I mean I did a grow cut flower book um, maybe Mm. 15 18 years ago but yeah no I haven't done a gardening book for a very long time and to be honest this book was such a wonderful pleasure to write from beginning to end from the moment I sat down to to start it and the main reason for that is it's sort of almost like a diary of how Perch Hill has evolved and why it's evolved what is the reason for the garden here really it's called a year full of flowers year full of flowers and uh, it's a gardening year through the seasons and um so it starts month by month. So January and February are together and November and December, but all the other months from March until October have their own chapters. And it really is showing people exactly what we're doing here in terms of what's amazing in the garden at that particular moment in the year, 
but also at the back of every chapter, it's what you do practically to get that look uh, in your garden throughout the year. So for instance, March is obviously it's mainly about Narcissus and all the scented trial varieties that we've done. And it records all the trials that we've, we've done over the years here. And actually the very first one that we did was a highly scented multi-headed Narcissus trial. And so that is the main sort of body of the text of March. But then also in March, of course, at the back is the practical section, which is about sewing. And it's all the different sewing techniques that we use and the reason that we use them and why we use which sewing technique for which plant. And so it's really hands-on in terms of what we've learned here in the last 25 years in terms of growing, but also in terms of variety. And it was just such a pleasure to do because of the photographs. So I've been working with the photographer, Jonathan Buckley, now for nearly 25 years, and just looking through the incredible archive of pictures that we've had from when we first made the first garden here out in front of the kitchen to now the two and a half, uh, well, no, that's not true. It's one and a half acres intensive, and then there are two or three little orchards that add to that. But it it is, I hope, really, really practical, but I hope also inspirational from Jonathan's pictures of, of running through the year. I mean, that that's the beauty of Percher, what you've done. There is almost a garden for every not every taste, but in certainly in terms of flowers, there's a garden for every taste and palette, isn't there? You've got the, the Dutch yard, which is similar to my garden, you know, a brick canvas with pots. And then there's the Oast garden, which the Bold and Brilliant garden was, was dedicated to. And that was the only book really you've done, which was sort of dedicated to a garden of your design. Whereas this book, it encompasses the whole of Perch Hill, which includes the, the beautiful farmhouse cottage garden, which has seen a lot of changes since I've known you. I mean, it's gone from being the pollinator garden to what I think it is it the white and grey garden now, as Adam calls it. <laughs> well, yeah, now it's it's the cool palette. The cool palette. Okay, okay, you'll have to yeah. educate me on on what that means when I'm next there. <laughs> and then, of course, the the cutting garden, which a lot of people know because of the the famous avenues of sweet peas, which um, was the first garden I think you made at Perchill, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's it's really a record of this place over the last 25 years. And it's got a beautiful map. And Yeah, I uh, love which, the map with the cows and the hens. Yeah, yeah, showing it in, it in its place, as well as Jonathan's pictures. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. Next week, we're going to talk about crocus, which are looking absolutely fabulous right now. Antirhinums, snapdragons, which we're sowing now, and Swiss chard and bright lights chard, which are the queens of the veg garden at the moment. You can find more information, photos, and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.